Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets2 Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hello, everyone. This is Mary-Kate Saliba with you here on Veteran Voices. I'm your host today, and I'm really excited to interview this veteran who's not just a veteran, but a very dear friend of mine and also an incredibly amazing mentor, uh, my mentor, but I'm sure he'll be your mentor too. Uh, before we get started, just a quick programming note. This program is a part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, and today's show is conducted in partnership with a nonprofit that's near and dear to my heart, Military Women's Collective, started by Navy veteran Marina Rabinek. A shout out to Marina. She's doing incredible work for women veterans across the country. And you can learn more about that great nonprofit at militarywomenscollective.org. And then another one near and dear to me is also the Guam Human Rights Initiative. You can learn more about their great work at guamhri.org and how they're utilizing research to promote human rights in Guam and the region. So without further ado, here to introduce... Batman. I feel like I need like a drum roll or like an entrance song for you, but uh, Bruce Thompson. Thank you so much, Bruce, for joining me. You are the executive director of Ascend Collective, which is the nonprofit side of Town Ascend. And as everybody knows here on Veteran Voices, I like to amplify the voices of veterans who are serving beyond the uniform. And Bruce, Bruce Thompson, you are doing just that. So welcome, Bruce. Oh, thanks, Mary Kay. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, as we joke, we we could talk for for days about days. anything and everything. <laughs> yes, but it's it's just great to be able to come in here and talk about you know my story, kind of where I'm at, what I'm doing, you know how we uh, came to find each other and get connected, and you know now it's like the families know each other and interact. So I know isn't it crazy? Because I think it's been it's been a couple of years now, maybe going on three years that known each other now yeah i don't have a calendar in front of me but yeah just doing the clock it just absolutely incredible how long we've known each other and i know we've said this many times we had to narrow the list down but i wanted to kick off today's show with a motivational quote so i know you've got one if you feel so inclined you're welcome to sing it too but (laughs) i'd love to hear what what your favorite motivational quote is and pump us up I'll save everybody's uh, eardrums uh, by not singing, but John Wooden, the the famous UCLA basketball coach, is just known for you know incredible quotes, incredible uh, thoughts. So mm-hmm. the one that I really like to go with is, "Don't let making a living interfere with making a life," and it's it speaks to the work work life balance that we all talk about and struggle to find. But, you know, it's it's what's truly important uh, to us. And, mm-hmm. you know, you you'll be able to make money throughout your, your career, throughout your lifespan. But don't let money be so important that you forget to 
enjoy life, to spend time with those that mean the most to you, to do the activities that give you that 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 warm, fuzzy heart, that put a smile on your face, that that make memories that Mm -hmm. that will last. So I I love that quote. You know, and again, it's you know he's a basketball coach, but really he he was a philosopher and he was a true leader, mentor, and just uh, an idol to so many. So I I think that's a a great one to kick us off. Oh, I love that and. And it's so true, not even just like you said, he's a, a coach. So it's it, but it applies, especially for us uh, veterans. It applies for those of us who are, are transitioning at some point. And many of us are still transitioning. I'd say all of us are. And one of the things that I, I failed to mention is that you're a Marine. And I have to be careful that I can't say was a Marine because once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. You stood on those famous yellow footprints. Um, and so I just want to you know let our listeners know we got a Marine in the house and I got to mix it up here sometimes because, you know, I, I get army heavy or something. And I got to I was like, I got to ask some other brothers and sisters in the other branches to join me on the show. But I do want to get to know you a little bit better, have our listeners get to know about your roots and just to let us know about where you grew up at. I was born in Charleston, West Virginia. I was there until uh, about eight years old. Then I moved to the Southern California desert of the Imperial Valley. Uh, at that time, we were a, a culture shock. We were a bump in the road. We weren't even a wide spot yet. We were just a bump. Uh, it was a farming town. It's about 13 miles from the uh, Mexico border. I, I got there. Uh, Spanish was the language spoken the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 really was just culture shock of you know I, I went from living in, in the with the grandparents and, and everybody like in the hills of West Virginia and green everywhere to desert uh, farm spots you know learning that irrigation was the key to everything going to your friend's house and you know the friend having to translate anything that his parents said you know, to me because you know, a lot of those uh, parents didn't speak English. <laughs> it was definitely one of those like, wow, like, oh, this is going on. And that's before we started talking, you know, West Virginia culture to California culture. And, you know, I like to call it the East Coast versus the West Coast because you know, it's a little difference between the East Coast Marines and the West Coast Marines. You know, West Coast a little more laid back, East Coast a little more. Uh, uptight but <laughs> oh gosh but you know it's it's culture shock for sure i mean you couldn't pick any cultures. different oh. it, it, i've been out, i was out in california recently i felt like i was in a different country <laughs> from like <laughs> the east coast uh it, it definitely felt different even the way they dress I, you could i think it's funny at the airport when you see where what flight people are about to board and you get like it was like a Houston, Texas flight and people were in cowboy hats and their boots and whatnot. And then you get like Cali and it's like ripped jeans. I don't know. Like, I think maybe like Los Angeles with like ripped jeans and I don't know, like different name brand stuff on their hoodies. It was just uh, definitely a different culture compared. Like you said, like I feel like around here kind of like a little bit more yeah. conservative, uptight, a little bit serious. I thought I love that you did the Marine comparison because I hadn't heard that, but I bet that's that's pretty true. So I was like, um, as far as like with your, your upbringing, did you grow up like big family, small family? Like, do you have some kind of lesson lessons learned from that time? <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up, my dad, my mom, 
I had four older brothers, one uh, younger brother, but the younger brother didn't live with us. Uh, as we, the four of us moved to California, the, the brothers, my oldest, which is the one I got along with, you know, it's mm-hmm. funny that the oldest and the youngest, the ones who got along. Uh, yeah, that's a lot true in a lot of families. Yeah. He, he's uh, stayed for about a year, year and a half. And then he moved, you know, back to Virginia with his dad. One of my brothers made it, you know, four or five years and it was like, okay, you know, it's time to move back east. And he went back and lived with the, the grandparents. And so it was just that weird uh, dynamic. So we had mm-hmm. the big family, then it narrowed it down. And, uh, you know, being the youngest, I, I was the, the last kid in the house, you know, and dad worked uh, multiple jobs, mom worked. But, you know, I grew up where if it was daylight, you, you were out and about, your know, bike equaled your freedom. And mm-hmm. you got home before the streetlights. So, you know, we, we talked about a lot of those things of, hey, you know, where, where are you? And, you know, there are no cell phones, no, no uh, tracking devices. So it, it could be one of those ones where I was like two towns over, you know, no one knew. So it was, it was just that, that expansion, that experience, that figuring out who, what, where uh, things were. And it's that traditional, you know, kind of upbringing that uh, we had in the, in the 70s and 80s. Then, you know, I do this crazy thing and join the Marine Corps and talk about another culture shock. <laughs> well, that's what I wondered because I had, you know, I I uh, interviewed Shirley Bias and she was talking about what led her to join the Army and how she literally just saw something as simple as a billboard and like a message on a billboard. And, you know, she's the first one that told me that because a lot of times it's like you go to the recruiting station and the Air Force stores is closed, right? Like they're on like a three hour lunch break or something. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll just go across the hall to the army or something. Um, but just really curious to, uh, you talk about that culture shot that, that out of your family dynamic and just one day you're like, I want to join the Marine Corps. Like talk us through that, how that, how that came about. So my, my oldest brother was in the Navy. He, he did six years and his last year in the Navy, it was my first year in the Marine Corps. So I saw, you know, a lot of what he did and went through because he was stationed um, in San Diego, which is a couple hours away. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was one of those ones of, okay, you know, I can't join the Navy. I'm not, I'm not going to voluntarily put myself on a ship for, for years, but the Navy was the recruiters that called me in. And so, hey, a chance not to be in school the afternoon. I'll, I'll take that because if you're talking to recruiters, you know, you were excused uh, so you can do that. And after I got done talking with the, the Navy recruiters, you know, and by the way, the Air Force recruiter had a sign called to make an appointment. Uh, they didn't even man that office on a regular basis. It was just like once a month or, or maybe twice a month they would come interview. So, of course, you know, I was like, I'm not waiting around for any of that. And as I was leaving the, the Navy office, you know, one of one of the guys that uh, I knew and, and hung out with from time to time was in the Marine office and said, hey, come on over. And, you know, next thing you know, we're we're uh, signed up the late entry program. We almost did, you know, move me up for boot camp uh, a month earlier to, to kind of go with the buddy program with him. And I was like, no, nah, I got my schedule. I'm good. But, you know, it's. You know, the few, the proud, the Marines, the, mm-hmm. you know, if you really want to take the extreme challenge, you know, join the Marine Corps and see if you can make it, see if you can, you know, uh, earn your title. And, you know, be, being that sports guy that's super competitive, 
you know, there was a challenge and it was like, heck yeah, I can do this. Watch, watch this, you know? Yeah. The pull up bars, that's what I love with the, the Marines, like their boost, you know, it's like the, the army, they might give you like a little stress ball or something, but you got like the Marine Corps booth and they got the pull up challenge bar and you see people like fall flat on their face. Like even just trying to get up on the bar, or they slide off of it. I was even at the Iditarod race in Alaska and it was snowing. Like we were crunching on icy snow and the Marines were out there there dressed up in their uniform and they had the pull-up bar and like the giant blown inflatable bulldog like (laughs) (laughs) and like it was massive the thing i thought was gonna blow away in the snow but um it was just one of those things where even though in like the winter survival weather they have the pull-up bar out there and they're just famous for that and of course toys for tots too Oh, I, I love that program. Uh, I did infant duty uh, three different times. So I got about 10 years of uh, experience, you know, going to the events, supporting it, uh, running the program for a few years. It, it, it is an awesome program and it just does so much good. So I, I really love that. And that is the Marine Corps Reserve program. So we, we mm-hmm. could go into that whole storyline about how it works and, and the origins. But yeah, that's that's definitely one of those ones. And I'll tell you, you know, before mm-hmm. we move on for that real quick, a Marine Corps spouse is why the Marine uh the Marine Corps Toys for Tots program exists. Oh uh, really? It, if you look up the history, it, it was uh uh a major uh, major spouse was like, Well here's you know, here's this, why don't we do this? Well there's no one to really uh no organization doing it. She's like, well, then you should do it, you know, and like every good Marine, he said, yes, ma'am. And uh, there, there it went. Now it's, it's, it's helping, you know, thousands, if not millions of uh, oh families my goodness, and kids so a year. Famous. It's like in, in, in comparison, like the Salvation Army's bell that you hear yeah. at Christmas time, right? And you hear the bell going and, but it's the, the toys for tots with the Marine Corps is just something that we just all know. And, and at this point we've grown up with it. Like I, I yeah. don't remember a hall, like a Christmas time where there wasn't a toys for tots box somewhere, everywhere. <laughs> so it's just, again, a very nostalgic, but just so meaningful about the impact that they're making still. And it's still going strong so shout out to toys for tots with the marines but i would say i don't blame you if that was the reason one of the reasons too about joining the marine corps the other one i get with joining the marines is the uniform right because there's like no question you all don't have to change your uniform like we've been you know i'm army veteran we're like i feel like we change our uniform every several years (laughs) even in my time in the army like i've had to change my uniform like three times so but the marines you guys got it down first time go so yeah, we we changed uh, camis uh, a few times with the different uh, you know type of uh, print, but when we talk about our service and our dress uniforms, uh, yeah, not dress. a whole lot of change. The the only real change recently was going to white pants in the summertime, and then our females they went from a different coat to the traditional Marine Corps uh, coat that was for the men. Well, they came out and said, you know, we want to have, you know, everybody looking a certain way. And I'll tell you, uh, I love the look. It, it's kind of fierce. You know, you, you see it and it's like, they call you, it fierce. You, you, you just look at it and you're like, you know, that's a badass right there. Um, and whether <laughs> I know, it's right? the belt, yes. I, just the belt, the collar, just the, mm-hmm. the, the presence that it brings. And it looks you know, sharp it, for sure. 
you, you see, you know, non-military people see Marines and they're like, yeah, that's a Marine. And then they see the other services and they're like, well, which branch is that? You know, so it's, it's definitely one of those marketed and branded and, and done right. Yeah. And there's so much, I think with the Marine Corps, just so much tradition in, in what they do and they really stick with that. But it's also something that I, I find many folks I talk to that join the Marine Corps, that that's what the part that they love about it and why you don't say I was a Marine, you know, it's like you yeah. still feel like you're a part of that larger Marine Corps family forever, whether you served a decade ago or uh, yeah, years ago. So yeah, it's just, it is, it has got a beautiful history too. And it's the, we earn our title. You know, we don't get called Marines until almost the end of boot camp. Uh, and now, you know, it's, uh, they're called Marines when they get their Eagle Golden anchor emblem at the mm-hmm. end of the crucible, which is, just one heck of a field exercise that stresses you out. A whole lot of fun. One big, so, one big party. One good, yeah. big, good time. One good time. Um, and well, I will say too with with Guam, like you know, and and I mentioned the Guam Human Rights Initiative earlier, but me being my family being from Guam, like to, it, it's just you know again beautiful history there because we have our main road is called Marine Corps Drive. Um, I mean, they just um, had the big ceremony for Camp Blas recently, and out in Guam and the new Marine Corps base, but they really do have, um, you know, they talk about the Marine Corps and just what they did for us coming out of World War II. Um, so yeah, lots of, again, I mean, you all have been in, in so many different, and for those who don't know, just like what the Marine Corps is all about, but who better to ask than a Marine. So I do want to ask about some favorites about where where you got sent to. Uh, do you have a particular favorite duty station where the Marine Corps sent you and the family, perhaps, or maybe Geobatch? As far as my favorite duty station uh, location, it was Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Really? It, it was one of those ones where you know, you're limited on uh, who's there, you can't really just say, hey, I'm going to go for this long drive. Most of us didn't even have vehicles. But it it broke it back down to you really worked and lived with your fellow Marines. And it, it created an even bigger, better bond. We're, we're surrounded by water. So, I mean, you know, being, being from Southern California, you know, water is a great thing to, to be surrounded by. Got to do really cool things, and as a sergeant of Marines at the time, that that really meant something. Uh, you know the the way you were treated, the respect that you were given, the uh, responsibilities. It, it was all there. So I loved that. Now we talk about you know Kansas City. I was out there on I and I duty, which is uh, training Marine Corps Reserves, mm-hmm. and it. That's the place where I made most of those friendships and bonds that last a lifetime. Uh, I joke, I left there like in, in 2013. So we're looking at a decade later. Mm-hmm. I still talk to so many of those individuals and interact with them, whether it's social media, phone calls, uh, you know, they stop by uh, and stay at the house when they're in this, this neck of the woods. And uh, we visit them when we're in their neck of the woods. I love, I love the right you say. It's like you, you'll never end up uh, being out 
as I say, just like this bigger family of having, that's why we call each other like brothers and sisters, just because you know, like you can, can, a decade could have gone by or since you actually physically saw one another, but you know, if you call them up and you need to crash on their couch, that they're totally going to let you do that. You know, they probably give you their bed, you know, it's just, I think a beautiful thing, just the friendships and the bonds that we created that were maybe somebody who's never served in the military couldn't fathom like what do you mean there was no air conditioning what do you mean they didn't have any hot water what do you mean like the food was being rationed you know and and just like those kind of living conditions it's like there's a little bit of uh, I think like a little bit of crazy in in each of us who have served (laughs) where we're like we love that because it's just something about going through as we say the suck that ends up bringing us closer together and those are the times that now looking back on it we're like oh my gosh it totally brought us together and we can relate to one another on a different level yeah hearing you embracing the suck yes that's a real saying (laughs) if you've been there and done it like wow does it like bring a bell and kind of take take you back but if you haven't you know people are like what do you mean embrace this suck that's that's weird and like yeah it's a it's a different lifestyle it's a different upbringing a different culture that we're in but you know, that com- uh, camaraderie that we share, that's something that when we're in transition, we really don't understand or realize how important that is and how much we're going to miss it as we take that uniform off for the last time, as we don't live surrounded by, you know, hundreds or thousands of uh, fellow service members. So that's that's part of a, the transition process that you hear but you just don't understand it until it's gone. And then a lot right. of people struggle to, to find that outside of the service. And I think that's uh, a big part of the mental health struggles. The, you know, we to talk about the depression, the anxiety, a lot of have the PTSD, you know, we, we were, you know, in combat for 20 years consecutive. And that's where this generation, you know, has the, the most combat experience because, if you serve from 2001, you know, to 2021, uh, more than likely made multiple deployments and those things stick with you. So uh, I definitely think, you know, the camaraderie, because there's nothing better than talking with a fellow veteran that's been there, done it and understands. And and that's a, a big loss as we transition out. And yeah, as we're facing things that we've never faced before and we're like, oh, my goodness, what what is what is transition and what does it really mean and how do I do it? That's something that I don't think it's talked about enough is uh, the camaraderie loss and the being around people that understand you, uh, what you've grown up in. And, you know, it's that we don't need to say it, but we, we know that, you know, we're amongst peers, friends uh, and those individuals, you know, we hear got your six. You know, some people are like, what the heck's that mean? And it basically just means that, you know, we've got your back. And, and those are things that as, as, you know, I transitioned myself, you know, learning the new non-military work cultures. Uh, hey, this is how this, you know, manufacturing factory did. Hey, this is what this contracting company did. This is what you did at these uh, other sites and within the different nonprofits. And there, there's no handbook that says, hey, read this and you'll be fine. Because everything's different. There is no one size fits all. And it's wonderful, but scary. And, and it's definitely hard to, to find your spot. Uh, that um, loss of I- identity a little bit there, because 
as we mentioned, like many of us joined when we were young, it's still in very much like our brain development years <laughs> and getting exposed. You said the, the culture shock that you experienced as a, as a kid, you know, not everybody has the culture shock as a kid. Sometimes the first culture shock is that day at boot camp when they have his drill instructors screaming and yelling at them and uh they don't they they're meeting people and they're having to work with people from all different walks of life, different backgrounds, folks that have never seen someone that looks like you and <laughs> talks like you, like you know, accents that I heard when I was in service. And so it's that that feeling of belongingness that once they've stripped it, kicked that civilian out of you, and now you, you become molded into this fresh, shiny new service member. Um, but we do, we, I think that why we join the military is not always the same reason why we stay, right? And, and for right. you, Bruce, like you stayed career, beautiful, loving wife, Neela is, is stuck by your side through thick and thin throughout that whole time. Uh, time frame, which I think is, is such a beautiful thing. Uh, but what was it that got you to stay? Because I do want to talk about the transition piece and your advice for transitioning. But you stayed career. And I will say that even though like we just, you know, 20 years, Afghanistan, like you talked about the war, well, these veterans have, have experienced combat numerous times. And so that's not an easy thing for, you know, from outside looking in to fathom why someone would stay. So uh, I'll date myself. I went to boot camp in 92. So I I got almost a decade in before uh, you know 9/11 happened, and my my contract first expired. Uh, I was married, two young kids, and no transferable skills. And there were not all these programs that talked about transition, employment assistance. Hey, come to us. We'll help you write a resume. There wasn't even a, a transition uh, a TAPS program. Right. But as I was coming close to that last you know, six, six, seven months mark, it was the, if I get out, what am I going to do? And it was the, I'll end up going right back to that small community where people just don't leave. They, they get stuck there. Uh, and that wasn't something I wanted to do. I enjoyed the Marine Corps. Uh, I was very good at what I did. Uh, it, it just said, well, let's change my military occupational specialty to something I'd rather do, but I'm going to stay Marine. And I did that. You know, it meant going to a year long school right away. It, it was going to my first INI duty where I'm like, what's INI duty? Uh, what's this mean? And, and I've never thought about the reserve side. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm there, you know, training them and, you know, how much can we fit into two days over a weekend? It, I'm out not on a Marine Corps base, but I'm out, you know, I was in Long Beach, California. I was in Kansas City, Missouri. You know, not places where you expect to find a ton of Marines. No, because the more army, right? Because no water. <laughs> yeah. And you started to learn how the general community saw military, saw, saw the Marine mm -hmm. Corps. Uh, I got to engage and do so many things that I never would have uh, because of those duty assignments. And you know, once you stay the the first time you hit that 10 year mark, majority of us, you know, not you, but majority of us make that commitment to stay, you know, till 20 for our retirement. And that, that's where it was. I, 
I kept doing a good job. I kept getting promoted. And, you know, I left a couple months shy of 24 years because my body broke down. Um, mm. it, I would have stayed to 30. You know, it would have been one of those oh, ones wow. where they're like, you know, hey, uh, you need to go. I'm like, force you out. like <laughs> well, what do you mean I have to go? Like, I'm comfortable. But <laughs> Turn around, uh, like, Bruce, you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> but going through and, you know, dealing with the injuries, which, again, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always kind of classified my guy as, uh, as the sports guy. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, you know, shoulder surgeries, knee surgeries, back issues. And that's before we talk about mental health and internal. Just we sort it, of like suck it up, right? And you're like, I still got more in me. I can still push out know, a little bit more. We did it until my body just said no. And it took over a week, almost a week to recover from a, a sports day that the company did. And that was the the white flag for me and said, okay, it's time for me to go. Again, I talked with Neela. We figured out, you know, what was the timeline? You know, we we figured out finances. You know, we had to be kid-free, debt-free, you know, and, and she's she's the CEO, the CFO, the COO, and all these other things uh, of our household. And I, I'm a smart guy who says, yes, ma'am, a lot. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, uh, ma'am. There you go. And so she kind of gave me a date and said, okay, I'm dropping my papers 14 months from this date, and mm-hmm. we're going to transition. And... You know, we met the requirements uh, of being debt-free, kid-free. We we were very set and stable, and starting early enabled us to have a good transition. Now That's that doesn't that doesn't yeah. mean that it was smooth and no problems. <laughs> uh, but I know, think my- a key thing that you said there was that that Neela was part of that decision for you to get out, and I think that that's a piece that. We miss, I know you did, you know, an incredible highlight there about Toys for Tots being started by a spouse, but how often do we talk to service members and they haven't even talked to their spouse yet, or oh. they forgot that their spouse is part of this transition too. So I just want to, you know, I and I, I know you're saying it with your experience, but I do want to highlight how actually unique that seems to be in comparison to the norm, which is, let's just tell my spouse, okay, that's the date that it's happening without like pre-planning to say let, let's make this decision together are we we ready to get out and, <laughs> and, and do I'll, we have what do we have a plan so yeah exactly I, I i tell you uh i promote communication uh with, with spouses with you know especially uh, if you have teenagers you know kind of tweens you gotta have these communications because it's stressful for all of us 100%. and if you're out there trying to make, you know, all the decisions for your family, well, you, you're going to have even more stress added to you. Uh, there could be some resentment. Sure. And this isn't what we're trying to do. It's this is a family decision. You know, where we're going to live next, that's a huge deal. Someone move home to their, their old town that they grew up in. Uh, and they hit culture shock there because, you know, as they left for five, 10, 15, 30 years, the town moved, the town changed and grew and it came. Oh, that's a great point. I think you know, sometimes too, service members are like, do I move to where the job is at or do I move to where I want to actually live? Um, and I, yeah. I think that it's like, we're kind of conflicted there, but right, but since the pandemic, since COVID-19, like so many remote jobs are opening now. Um, but you know, when you were transitioning, it, I, remote work wasn't a popular as popular no. as it is now, right? It was kind of like, 
you know, you don't go to online school. That's a no. And then you don't have to remote. Remote work wasn't really an option. And so, yeah, like, yeah. What was that like for you trying to figure out what's next? And, and, you know, add in there too about your, your advice for those service members. So for us, the first year post-retirement, we stayed in, in Camp Pendleton in San Diego uh, County. Uh, Neither was a family readiness officer with the Marine Corps. So she dealt with the transition, the family programs, uh, right. you know, making sure that communication between command uh, service members and their families was there. And whether that was uh, spouse, uh, kids, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, it was whoever the service member said was, this is my family. I want them involved and included. So she was completely, you know, in in the mix. And that was her second uh, time, uh, second unit uh, as being a family readiness officer. So she had all the insights and made sure I was signed up for uh, the Franklin Covey classes, you know, love languages, uh, you know, all, all these things to kind of help me make that mental transition and to understand uh, thoughts and all it. It got to be, uh, we're six months from, uh, you know, our, our year being out and we were still living in housing, uh, cause Pendleton had plenty of houses and so retirees could stay. Uh, she came and asked or said, Hey, the lease is up in six months. What are we going to do? And I'm like, well, we're not going to resign it. Yeah. You know, that was like big command. Like I'm done with California. I don't want to be here anymore. Let's, <laughs> let's get out of here. And she said, okay, where are we going to live? And that was the slap across the face of, oh, crap, I just made this decision that we're not going to live here anymore. Where are we going to live? And I printed out a map of the U.S. for for Neela. I had one for myself. We went in separate rooms. Uh, We picked the cities that we were interested in living. We came back together. And again, Neela and I have known each other for 30 plus years. We were best friends today. We met in high school. Uh, We're about to hit our 20 year reunion uh, or anniversary. And I had seven cities. She had six. Mm. Her six and and matched with mine. The only one that was different was I had Nashville because that's where she was living uh, when we got married. And I brought her back to Southern California. So that was, I don't want to go to Nashville, but you followed me. So if you want to go back, I'll follow you. And luckily she said she didn't want to go there. And we quickly, you know, well, hey, Texas is going to, kind of be similar to Kansas City where it's lake life, not beach life. And she wasn't a big lake fan. So I brought that up. She said, okay, Texas is off. So we had Tampa or Jacksonville, Florida. And, you know, we have you know some family in, in uh, Tampa, you know, plenty of, of employment opportunities, things to do, you know, great place to be. And then we talked about uh, Jacksonville. It had, you know, everything that, you know, military retiree uh, would want. Because, you know, if you if you spend all that time and you earn, you know, access to these benefits, you really can't take advantage of them if you're not close to the bases, the resources. And so we didn't know a single soul. We never been to Jacksonville in our lives. And we smacked the table and said, we're moving to Jacksonville. I just want to hear like this point that, you know, our listeners don't know what I know, but like, you and Neela basically, I feel like, run Jacksonville. Like, when people like, <laughs> like, connect with in the veteran community in Jacksonville, it is the Thompson duo. Like, Bruce, Neela, you two are 
you're I just want to, you know, highlight that you just said like you didn't know anybody and you all just decided to move there and now look at you two now. I mean, just again, everybody's like connect and, with you two. They go anywhere near Jacksonville. And I, I love it. It it is I got a buddy uh who's made uh made me the veterans mayor of Jacksonville. I laugh. I said, Well, if I'm the mayor, you're my deputy. And he's like, you know, I'll follow you wherever you go, Bruce. And I was like, Okay. But it is such a incredible military retiree uh, community. 25% of uh, Duval County is military or veteran connected. You know, that's that's huge. We've got three naval bases. You know, one, one's right across the border into uh, southeast Georgia. But we have them. We've got, you know, Marine Corps Recruiting Command, a Marine Corps base, uh, a couple of reserve spots, Coast Guard. Is there just like red, like everybody's just wearing red down there? Is you know, for the, <laughs> well, those who are listening, you're wearing red right now. So I just can <laughs> see is everybody yeah. in Jacksonville red. <laughs> Fridays are red. Um, Fridays are red. Good. And if those that you know don't don't understand that is uh red Friday is you remember everyone deployed. Yes. Uh and it's just a day for us to to wear, you know, a bright color, but just to kind of we haven't forgotten that there's people that aren't home with their families that are 100%. overseas and and i'll tell you as someone who's been overseas multiple times you know it, it does get get lonely it does kind of get uh, a little like you know what's happening in the real world while i'm over here uh, but we we showed up in jacksonville and one of the things that me and Ela had had said is when we pick our permanent home we are going to be pillars of our community and we got there uh dumb luck followed us so we picked a great uh short-term rental uh the owner talked to us because we we're staying you know uh, more than a week or two so he'd like to talk to those long-term uh, uh residents uh he's a, a broker so you know, he talked about some real estate then you know across the courtyard from us was his real estate agent who happened to be a army spouse. And she became our real estate agent. And her and Anita looked at hundreds of houses that first night. She brought her husband over and, and Neela and and her talked about uh, real estate and all that. By the way, she joined the army. She's an active duty uh, ser- uh, service member currently. So that, wow. that's that's really cool. Very cool. Uh, and me and, and uh and the army vet, we sat there and did what we did. You know, we we talked a little Marine Army crap to each other, but we talked <laughs> about different things that were going on. And he was like, "What are you doing Instant. Saturday?" I'm like, "I'm like driving around Lost." Instant rapport right there. Oh yeah, and he he took me to uh, you know Neil and I both to this great event, which is the largest recurring gathering of veterans uh, in the state of Florida, and walked me in there and. T- you know, introduced me to the who's who in the zoo. Uh, you know, I, I did the shake hands. I did the business card exchange. The program started. And then, you know, as as that was ending, you know, me and Neil kind of like, okay, you go left, I'll go right. And we just did that loop to all the exhibitors. We met in the uh, in the halfway point, kind of debriefed each other about, hey, make sure you really talk to this person and talk to this person. And we finished the loop, uh, went home, and the rest of that weekend was spent, you know, LinkedIn requests, uh emails asking if i can you know, buy him a cup of coffee and luckily enough 
I had a retired brigadier general say, sure, you can buy me a cup of coffee. And he gave me 20 minutes of his time, complete stranger. But, you know, I reached out and did what we're supposed to do. And, you know, he he and I really, if you talk to one of us, you're going to figure out everything that's going on. He he's the great mentor. He's done so much. He he's seen. He he's that sounding board. He's that that calmness that's there. And me and him kind of just have done so many things. Where hey, he's the CG and I'm the senior enlisted, and we have those five minute conversations that you know if we were with the board or the group would take an hour and a half, two hours. Right. And it's just that Hit instant rapport yeah. that goes back and forth. We both uh, just stepped down uh, as co-chairs for the uh, Community Veterans Engagement Board, which is uh, veterans and the local VA working together to solve issues at the lowest level to bring up concerns. And I'll tell you, uh, I love my VA. You know, so many people talk bad about them. I've yet to have a negative experience with them. Uh, I've had people that have. Nice. I've been able to hop on a call. Uh, get it fixed, corrected, because we just have an awesome team that they want to, you know, be the best. And, and that's, it's so much to this community. There's so many veterans where you're at that I think it is a true testament to just how much they've been, like how good they are, because that is becoming part of the conversation is with transitioning service members and picking where to go. It's like, one, were they not going to tax the heck out of my retirement, <laughs> but like two is just the the veteran friendly communities, and and I think we just with any just as humankind, like we want to be able to identify with the community that we're we're in and living in, and and you were able to do that, and look at you now. I mean, that's one of the things where I do want to take the time to talk about the Send Collective. Um, and, you know, you had like the advice, but I, it's key for those who are listening, who are going through their transition, that even if you're not, because I'll say this, Bruce, I know that you're not one that likes to be around crowds or in a bunch with like a ton of people, but you put yourself out there and you did it with Neela by your side, your beautiful spouse, and you just like went out there and you got it done and you did, you know, took the advice from so many other mentors and, and you didn't come in there. You, I, you know, coming outside, looking in, like you really humbled yourself because you're a senior enlisted leader. I think it, it's all too easy for us to get in our own head about what the rank and be like, I already know this, I know what to do. But then when you find you hit that wall and you're like, it's not working the way I want to do it. So maybe I should take a step back and see how else to do it. But I do want to talk about the Send Collective because uh, I know we're running close to the end of time here, but I want to get a chance for our listeners to hear about the great work that you're doing and how you all are still uh, giving back to the military veteran community. So uh, currently I'm the executive director of the Ascend Collective. We are the nonprofit side of Talents Ascend. We work with three communities of focus, which are Veterans Ascend, Military Active Guard Reserve, Veterans, all eras, all service discharge statuses, military veterans, spouses, 18 plus year old military dependents. All of that encompasses veterans ascend. Our second community of focus is ability ascend. Simply put, anyone that has a disability. Our third community of focus is mission to ascend. And this is for those that had run in with uh, the law. They, they're looking for their second chances. And all three of these communities are 
underserved. You know, we can spend the next month talking about uh, military spouses that are either underemployed or unemployed and, and the talent that they have in them. You know, we talk, you know, it's ability ascend. It's not disability ascend. It's ability ascend because we talk about strengths. We don't focus on weaknesses. We talk about strengths. So we don't talk about what you can't do. We talk about what you can do. Uh, again, I'm 100% permanently and totally disabled veteran from the VA. So if we talk about, you know, all those things that ail me, one, we'd be here for another week, but it, it would really take away from what people think I could do. But we don't do that. Right. We talk. We don't, don't want to focus on that. We don't talk about weaknesses. We talk about strengths. And, and those are things that. that we really focus on. Plus, all three of these communities, they have federal and state programs that encourages employers to hire and retain them. Great. Is, is it any era, Bruce? Is it any, any era of veteran? Because I find so many, there's so many VSOs out there that will only help the post 9-11 veteran. So I think it's important when they say veteran, do they mean all, all any veteran? All eras, all service discharge statuses. Oh, um, wow. That's we fantastic. Have, we've got veterans that are going to fit into uh, Veterans Ascend, Ability Ascend, and Mission to Ascend. You know, mm. we, we talk about a lot of those. I know I'm going to send your way. We know those Vietnam and Korea era yes. veterans that we didn't talk about PTSD. No. They, mm -hmm. they were, hey, something's wrong with you and you did something stupid. And they went to jail for decades. It, it wasn't, let's get them treatment. Let's get them help. It was, add, I don't know what's wrong with them, but you know they broke the law. They're going to jail. So we got to talk about those second chances and everything that comes back with it. And we have to talk to people about who they are what they really want to do, where they're going to excel and set them up so they can become employment ready. A lot of us, we're not employment ready right out the gate. You know, we, we have to learn what transition means. We have to learn the job market. We have to figure out who we are as a person and what we really want to do. Uh, and I'll tell everybody, I'm extremely lucky. I get to do what I love. I, I go to work every day and I'm in a passion project. Yes. That is not common. So many mm -hmm. people go to work and it's, I got to get this paycheck. Uh, I got to, you know, keep the lights on, food on the table, roof over my head. And, you know, I wish everyone the opportunity to get to where I'm at at some point during their lives. Uh, and, and I've been blessed. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I, you know, dumb luck has followed me Bless, around. Bruce. You're, and, you are blessed. Outside looking in, blessed man right here. <laughs> and, and to be able to appreciate that, and you know, uh, I don't, I don't talk about you know, hey, I've humbled myself. I'm just mm -hmm. who I am. That, that's one of the things that you're going to get there. There's no act, anything else. Uh, you know, I, I embrace my veterans, so I got the long hair, I got the beard. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's just being comfortable with who you are. And then willing to put yourself out there to assist as many people as you can. So, you know, that, that's, that's the wow factor. That's, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's what gets me going. That's, uh, fills my emotional fuel tank. Uh, but I do want to hit talents, uh, talents ascend, which is the business side. So talents ascend is the future of hiring. Our CEO and founder 
worked in HR for a Navy veteran, nine and a half years, got out, was told all her uh, skills and experiences meant absolutely nothing. It's funny uh, because she did admin in the Navy. So I don't know how admin outside in the civilian workforce didn't cross over. But hey, she worked for 30 years in civilian HR. She took notes and said this is all the things that she saw wrong with the process. So she developed a AI-powered platform. Ready for this? This is the great part. No resumes. No job searching. No applications. Employers and candidates get matched based on skills. So candidates and the candidate pool is open to everyone. You know, we have our three communities of focus, but anyone that is looking for employment can sign up and create their free candidate profile. When they create that profile, they're talking about up to 25 skills that they have and want to use in their next career. And this is very important because there's so many of us that are career changers. In the Marine Corps, I did maintenance management. I was, whether it's motor transport, ordinance, or communication electronics maintenance. When I got out, I jumped all the way into HR and said, no, I don't want to do that. So if you look at my profile, you will not see anything that talks about maintenance, logistics is gone. You talk about yep. communication electronics, it's all gone because we have to focus on who we are and what we want to do now, not what Can we Can I add did. that that's for the photo too? Because how often yes. do we see everybody who's still wearing their uniform photo <laughs> and their LinkedIn picture? Are you still trying to stay in the military? So it's like, you got to dress for the job you want. I have a, a very good uh, family friend of mine. He was, he wants to be, he wanted to be a mechanic at the time. So he was getting ready for his job interview and he's dressed up like a mechanic. And I was like, <laughs> man, you're about to go in for this interview. Aren't you going to like clean up a little bit? You know, it's like, nope, I'm going in there for the job that I want. And this is how <laughs> I dress. And that's what he did. And they, they loved him, but it was just, Again, you dress for the job that you right. want, right? So and, in, in, not just like skills, but also the picture. So Yeah. And I'll tell you, for those that aren't on LinkedIn, I don't know what you're waiting for. <laughs> you that's tell them, Bruce. Every, that's where everybody goes and looks. Uh, but for the business side of Talents Ascend, our uh, employers, which are members, um, mm-hmm. you know, they pay a membership fee. That's how we pay the bills and keep the lights on. But when they cho- post their uh, openings, they might put, diesel mechanic and they'll list three to 25 skills that that candidate needs to have. They go into the AI platform and they came up with matches. So one of the big things is Mary Kate, you're, you're the employee or the candidate. I'm the employer. When we first get matched, we remove all the unconscious biases from that. So all I get is first and last initial, the skills you listed locations, and uh, salary range. That's wow. all the information I get to make a decision on if I'm going to open your profile or not. So they don't know if you're 18 or 100, male or female, ethnicity, nothing. And there's not even enough information for them to try to search. I'm just saying, type in VT in Google and see what you come up with. You're not going to find me for unless you dig for a long while. And even then you're like, is that the right person? But I think it's just so important even just to highlight that that is something that we are still facing in our workforce is are those those biases like those yeah. and the, the, to take that out and remove that from the process like the you just 
it, it's a good thing. It's a it's a good thing. And I know the military is like slowly is trying to do it with the <laughs> DA photo. You know, they're like, okay, we don't need the photo anymore because you know that there is that that profiling. Yeah. I'll and, say when it comes to selection. And it's one of those ones where again we talk about the unconscious biases. We mm-hmm. don't know that we have them. We don't know. You know, I did a, a LinkedIn poll about beards. You know, it's beards an issue with people feeling comfortable working with them. Uh, if you have a people with a LinkedIn profile or uh, whatever picture you have that shows them with the beard, is that a uh, deterrent for them moving on to, you know, the candidate uh, process with an interview or anything else? Uh, tattoos, right. long hair, uh, colored hair, you know, piercings. You, you start to name it. All these things. Uh, people have that that thoughts yeah. about them. So you we dye do, my hair. You know, I, I was like one of the things. You know, the little things in life where I'm like, I just want to. Can I just like make my hair like blue or something? You know, you're just <laughs> going it, like different color things that we couldn't do in the military, right? Like getting a face tattoo, and, and you're just like, can I do these things now? And will they hire me? Just think about that. Stuff. You talked about you know uh, Marina. You know, we know Marina because she has the teal hair. That's one of her yeah. new. <laughs> Marina wants teal hair. That's yeah, that's the trademark. Yeah, her trademark. Even her Bitmoji has yeah. And you know, my daughter, growing up in Southern California, you know, she was coloring her hair from an early age. When she graduated high school, you know, it, it was blue. It yeah, shout great. out to the Military Women's Collective, right? Whose colors mm-hmm. are teal? Their founder, Navy veteran Marina Rabinek, her hair is also teal. So yeah, it just yeah. Yeah, my daughter, you know, went from the Southern California where colored hair was no big deal. She moved mm-hmm. to uh, Pittsburgh. She could not find a job to save her life. And, you know, she kind of came in and said, you know, it's more conservative. She dyed her hair back uh, a dark brown. And the next day when she went and applied for positions, she was getting immediate interviews. She had multiple uh, job offers. It was wow. nothing changed except her hair color. So understanding the culture of the community, uh, and the standards, and they change. And yes. whether you're, you know, in the Northeast, uh, the Southeast, you know, Texas, Montana, the West Coast, you name it. You mean like Texas, like its own entity, Texas. <laughs> well, I mean, look, look at the size of it. Look at the size of Texas. I know. And, and, and inside Texas, you have all these other regions that break it down a little bit further, from like full cowboy to but more like. I know. You know and, so understand location. The, yeah. And that's great advice. Great advice. I know, I know we've gone way over time, but that's because me and you can talk for days. Uh, I know they're going to say, why didn't you wrap it up, Mary Kate? But it's it's really because I, I know that there's so many out there that are probably in that those shoes now of just where do I go? I love that you and Neela had the maps laid out. You went in two different rooms. I think that's, and again, just highlighting how beautiful it is to have your spouse part of the process, your family the, the team, Team Thompson, to to make those decisions together to not only it, retire but to transition and relocate and and you, look at you, like I said, look at you both now, killing and, it down Jacksonville. And I'll tell you, when we both you know made a decision that we're going to go to Jacksonville, mm-hmm. neither one of us had jobs lined up. You know, we basically, you know, she resigned her position and was moving here uh, unemployed. I went to resign my position and they're like, no, we want to keep you on and you know, you can do remote HR. Oh, by the way, the primary contract holder for the Department of Labor workshops runs that region and they need a facilitator. So as I'm driving cross country to 
relocate from you know, San Diego to, to Jacksonville, Florida, I'm doing a phone interview while I'm driving for a new position. We had to get started a little bit later in the morning because for job interview number two, I had to do a presentation. So I couldn't do a presentation you know, while I'm driving. So uh, we were in the hotel and I, I did a quick presentation interview. And, you know, congratulations. So you, you got the position and you know, it, it went there and uh, we showed up and, you know, we, we just embraced our new community. We embraced who we were, what we wanted to do. And that propelled us to where we are today. And uh, again, you know, she, she's the chief of staff for Talents Descent. You know, I run the nonprofit side. It's again, it's, it's a partnership. In partnership, <laughs> even though it's like, yes, ma'am, at the end of the day. But it's like Talents Descent is the Ascent Collective. I love the work that you, you both are doing. They're very lucky to have you there. Team Thompson is a duo team to work for this incredible organization. Um, and I just love, again, the fact that if we have that you're willing to help veterans of any era, uh, any discharge status, because when it comes to those second chances, I think especially for our service members who ended up uh, getting kicked out for whatever reason or a different discharge status that's other than honorable, that, you know, you still have a life to live. There's so much out there. There's so much left that you have to give. And it's just, you know, again, finding that next mission purpose, no different than those of us transitioning with the honorable discharge. So I, I do love that you're willing to help those folks uh, navigate their journeys. Uh, I think it's important and, and it's something that not a lot of other VSOs are doing, veteran service organizations. So on behalf of the entire team here at Veteran Voices, I just want to thank you, Bruce, for, for joining me. And, you know, for you and Neela being such near dear friends and such so pitiful. I know we didn't, so pivotal in my transition, but we didn't even touch on how I ha got my current job. But we'll have to save that for a different day or maybe a LinkedIn post. But just really thank you so much for joining us. Um, how can folks get a hold of you? What's the best way if they want to ask more questions about the Ascend Collective or um, just your mentorship in general? So uh, we have uh, the ascendcollective.org mm -hmm. uh, for the nonprofit side. And we're always looking for volunteers. Just throwing it out there. Talentsascend.com will take you to the candidate and employer side of the house. And I'm easy to find. If you look up Bruce Thompson, MBA on LinkedIn. You're going to find me. I'm the guy with the beard. Make sure you, you send a note. Uh, I'm also on Veterati as a mentor. Uh, Veterati is a great mentorship site. It's a one-hour phone call with the mentor or mentors of your choosing where you can talk about whatever questions you have, do informational interviews, and get insights from thousands of just incredible people. For free. And for free. For free. For, for free. free. And I tell you, Veterati is when you're trying to figure out who you are, what you want to do. And then once you figure that out, we go to my, my best buddies over uh, American Corporate Partners. And we get that mentor from a Fortune 200 company that is going to just wow when talking about industry, uh, how certain things work. So there's so many incredible resources that are free. Mm -hmm. Please, please, please do not pay someone to write a resume. Do not pay somebody to write your LinkedIn profile. Don't don't pay people for things that you can get for free 
And there's so many resources, over 45,000 that are out there to help us out. Please, please, please save your money. It's hard to come by. Let us help you first, you know, before you go that route. Just, yes, like you said, use those resources. Um, I know we have a lot of friends of ours that do that do charge for those things. But you said just try out the free stuff first, uh, see if it works, you know, and then and go from there. But it's invaluable, right? That mentorship piece. I've gone through American Corp Partners. I've gone through Veterati. I was a mentee in both, now a mentor in both. Uh, so again, just continue to lean, pay it forward. You know, you go through this process as you're learning. There's nothing to say that you are not qualified to share that knowledge with somebody else coming out behind you. So no matter where you're at in your transition, even if you're only like six months in, lean back, to, you know, look back to the guys, guys, guys and gals that have come in behind you. Even with six months, you know more than they do. So yeah. just, you know, share it, pay it forward. We invite everybody that's listening. Thank you again for tuning in, tuning into Veteran Voices. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And a big thank you to our partners at Military Women's Collective and the Guam Human Rights Initiative. Again, go check out the Ascend Collective. And that's A-S-C-E-N-D. For those of you who don't know how to spell Ascend, I know it's one of those unique words we don't use a lot, but it's just incredible organization. Uh, this is Mary-Kate Saliva wishing you all nothing but the best. Do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. Thank you so much, Bruce. Take care, everybody. My pleasure, my honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.